Catch new episodes of Dial the Gate weekends at youtube.com slash dial the gate. And for the latest schedule, visit dialthegate.com. Episode 10 already. Thank you so much for joining me on Dial the Gate. My name is David Reed. Uh, We are going to be bringing in uh, one of my favorite human beings, as well as just performers and uh, just all around, an all around great guy, Mr. Tom Macbeth, in just a moment here. Uh, And we have a lot to talk about. So I'm just going to cut right to it. So before we get started with Tom, if you like Stargate and you want to see more content like this on YouTube, it would mean a great deal if you click that like button. It really makes a difference with YouTube's algorithm, and it's definitely going to help the show grow its audience. Please also consider sharing this video with a Stargate friend. And if you want to get notified about future episodes, click that subscribe icon. Giving the bell icon a click will notify you the moment a new video drops, and you'll get my notifications of any last-minute guest changes. This is key if you plan on watching live, because these talents are working and schedules change all the time. And clips of this live stream will hopefully be released over the course of the next several days on both Dial the Gate and the GateWorld.net YouTube channels. Without further ado, Mr. Tom Macbeth. Hello, all. Hello, Harry. <laughs> How are you, my friend? Um, uh, uh, for an old guy, I'm really great, actually. <laughs> How are things yeah. going? Have you been keeping busy? Uh, well, it's uh, you know what. Uh, again, I'll mention age again because as you go through this life as an actor, when you get older, things slow down. So when you add COVID in, you don't actually slow down very much at all because you're almost there already. <laughs> Uh, it's true. It's true. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, there's been more golfing and a lot of since COVID, a lot of walking. And uh, here in Vancouver, it's a it's a beautiful place. We have uh, a beautiful Stanley Park up here. And it's uh, from my place up to Prospect Point, which is uh, a beautiful place to see the Lionsgate Bridge go across to West Vancouver. It's about a, a 45 minute hike and then 45 back. So you, wow. you get fresh air and um we've been doing uh, some golf with the boys and uh, karen and i my partner have been doing some pitch and putt and uh, that's been lots of fun um uh haven't seen much of my family i did get a little trip up to salmon arm earlier for my sister's uh what birthday is hers hers was 79 so um but that's the only trip i've had and uh it, my brother that my one brother and her are the only ones i've seen family-wise since March. So it's kind of uh, kind of odd. It's been a couple a- of friends once in a while, and the golf guys once in a while. It's been an interesting year for sure. You you still having your poker game? Uh, we have our poker game every Tuesday night now, and we have it on on uh, Skype. Um, there's eight of us, and we found this old Java uh, poker game that uh, only, uh, only us members can play. All, there's eight of us can play, and no one else can play, and it's just us. <laughs> and we have we have a choice of games of there's about twenty, but there's only we only play three or four of them. There's, most of them have too many wild cards. But it's an old game from it's an old game from like back in the mid eighties or early eighties. And it's really low tech. 
you just have the poker table and um, the dealer, you know, nothing about the dealer. And I, I suppose the cards are random. We sometimes think they might not be, but we're not. Sure. <laughs> You'd have to wonder, you know, absolutely. We've had uh, 20, we'll have our 25th week next Tuesday. Um, and then we're, go- of course, uh, the following Tuesday, uh, we've moved the game to Monday so that we can hang in for the big election. Absolutely. <laughs> with our friends watch what's (laughs) going to go down there tom you have uh for the past several christmases off and on uh, made it a point to study and bring to life my favorite literary character of all time and probably what is my favorite book a christmas carol um we kieran and i were privileged to talk to you about that role a couple of years ago and uh I would love to talk with you about it now for people who haven't had a chance to see that that piece over on the Stargate Command website. Talk about um, uh, bringing Ebenezer Scrooge to life for me. Well, the first time I, the, the time I was asked to do it, this is maybe about six years ago. I'm not sure, six or seven. Um, I thought there's there's no way I can I can play Scrooge. Uh, uh, my cheeks are too big and. Uh, uh i'm not i'm not a i'm not a skinny rake uh um and i don't care how much putty you put on my face i I could never look like what in my growing up years i believe scrooge to look like uh the director finally talked me into it and he basically talked me into it through also the designer lady who did the costumes and stuff and um when she had come up with the costume and I saw the drawings of the costumes, I, I, I realized that it, it was a character I could play. And with his idea of how he wanted to do it, mm. um, I, uh, I said yes. And um, we started off on a journey that continues to this day. Wow. I'd, I'd like to show uh, fans out there some of the images that your theater company was was kind enough to provide to us. Do you have those numbers in front of you by any uh, chance? Yeah, well, I, I do. But uh, if you describe the picture to me. Okay, uh, sure. It is. It's just that the numbers were not in order. And, oh, and my I apologies. And I didn't write them down quick enough. <laughs> That's okay. I have a picture of you with Gary. Is it McKay or Mackey? Uh, Gary McKay. Lumen. Sorry. Um, uh, Yes, Gary McKay. Yes. He is looming behind you and you are on your knees staring at camera. He is the ghost of Christmas future. Uh, He is. And um, he plays all the, uh, he played all the ghosts. Um, uh, That is uh, the scene uh, uh, where he looks at where he he has to realize where he will be in the grave, in the ground, that he will be, that he will be done. He will be finished. And uh, he's never had to contemplate that. And through the, through the journey of the three, three spirits, uh, he's come to realize, well, I think he realizes it quite early in the journey, what a jerk he is, what a jerk he has been, what a, what a, um, what a mess he's made of his life. And I think it ha- starts to happen really early. When we first started rehearsals, I thought it wasn't till the end that he he understood. But it's almost from the time that um, 
we'll, we'll see a picture later of a young boy that he's pointed that is holding a book and I'm pointing into the book. And I can pull that actually, one up right now. That's actually Scrooge as a boy. And he sees himself as a boy. And he's left at the school over Christmas. Everybody else has gone home. And he, he's brought back to that feeling. And he's brought back to the imagination he had with the material that's in the book. And that's all he has. He's beginning to touch those things that meant things in his life that he's, he's pushed away. He's pushed aside and allowed money to take over everything. So right from the, almost that first, um, that first uh, uh, spirit taken into the past, almost from the beginning, the walls are starting to crumble around him. And th that image uh, with uh, the ghost of Christmas uh, uh, past uh, behind him, uh, present, uh, future behind him, the big dark figure, um, it's all, it's all, the wall is gone. Wow. And, and so when he wakes up, he realizes he's still alive. Um, and um, he, th he throws open the windows and he asks what day it is, and it's Christmas. <laughs> he's, uh, he realizes uh, that he can still participate. So yeah, he gets out. In the book, it, uh, it basically is uh, the, the, the ghosts say, you know, we'll, we're going to visit you one a night. And so he's shocked as we are that he hasn't missed it. And you talked about this character fighting through this journey, not wanting to change. He's perfectly content at being where he is. He doesn't want to become what they want him to become, but they keep revealing these things to him. And he's, he's I mean, mentally just kicking and screaming his way, you know, through this process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he does fight it, but he's taking it all in. It's uh, it, it's uh, uh, well, he's taking it all in, and it's it, it is eroding him. Um, he doesn't get a lot of it. Yeah, he does. He does argue with all of the spirits. <laughs> uh, this this of course is a, this a version, this stage version. It is a version, and there are many, many, many out there. Uh, Michael Shimada, who directed the show put this one together uh, about, uh, what did he say, uh, 27 years ago in a production he did in Eastern Canada in Halifax. Um, that show has been done there on and off for that many years and has been in, done in Toronto every year, um, often with the same cast or some of the same cast, sometimes switching positions as, as well. Mm. Um, uh, he's directed many of them and, each time he's gone to direct them or looked at them again to say, yes, you can do this. He he'll do little tweaks and stuff. Uh, the, 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 his play itself does not cover uh, everything in the novel. It's impossible to do that. But the highlights that he brings out, the, the stage is a, 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 the stage for this uh, show is just a large sort of arc, uh, like the Arc de Triomphe. It's, um, it's kind of a, an arch like that with a big clock up top and uh, cupids and stuff hanging off the sides and a great set of doors in the middle that are used quite often. And two doors on either side that are uh, doors that are built into the theater, actually, um, up on the stage. And it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful little uh, 
theater in Victoria uh, from an old church. Uh, so there's, you know, they can't do everything on it, but they can do a lot. Mm. And um, the, the set, the set, the only change that happens is with furniture pieces that come out. And the first, the desk that I sit at uh, in the play is this thing that uh, was probably 10 feet long and four feet wide on wheels. And the thing just flows in and gets stuck in place and a chair comes in and books come out and flop down. And uh, there's a lot, there's a couple of spirits that move around and help set each scene. Um, Sometimes characters do it, but usually these two spirits do everything and, uh, and dressed, um, dressed as some kind of weird sort of spiritual things that no one can see, but they can see everything. Mm. And uh, so it's, it's got this uh, uh, beautiful theatrical quality to it rather than just a narrative. Um, So it's, it's really, it's really powerful that way. And, and it's a, it's a beautiful little version of a theatrical version of the novel. Uh, as I said, it doesn't cover all of it, but it mm-hmm. it certainly digs into uh, love does actually conquer everything. <laughs> it sure does. Yeah, I have a picture of uh, you with uh, Connor Wiley here. I'm guessing that's his nephew, um, if yes. I'm not mistaken. Okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, what was the other one that I had here uh, just a moment the ago? One was with Evan. The one with Evan, he's, that's Cratchit. Evan is Cratchit. Ah, uh, yes. Evan, Evan Frayne. And yeah. you had a couple of different Cratchits over the years. Is that right? Yeah, yeah we've had uh, three different Cratchits. Can you please talk briefly about how the typical Cratchit, you know, in terms of uh, how we normally perceive him being, or excuse me, the, the typical Scrooge, how we normally perceive him as being, you know, curmudgeon and loud and everything else. And the advantage that you had of the size of the theater and your approach to it based on the intimacy of that production. I love this story. Uh, sorry, I, I, I'm not sh- quite sure what you're referring where are you, to. Where you were able to talk, you were able to oh. whisper and infer uh, that, you know, you didn't have to be loud and obnoxious because these people are just, you know, they don't need all of that energy. You just, all yeah, you have to do is say just a little bit. Yeah, there's a, a, I think it can be as powerful uh, with a smile and a, um, and a, a look of, don't you understand, you idiot? As you can calling someone an idiot. Um, so if if you can work on their self confidence <laughs> and their uh, all their weaknesses without yelling, you get much farther ahead uh, in controlling people. And now this all came from the director as well. Oh, okay. Uh, so so the, the last time the last time we did it, which was not last not last year, the year before this, uh, this, uh, we moved much more towards the guy who on the front of it, uh, no one would think except those people that knew him, that he was a, uh, he was a curmudgeon (laughs) because he could be uh, personable, uh, but uh, he actually wasn't, he was very private, Uh, but he could put that mask on and, and protect himself. And but it was exhausting for him when he would. Uh, the, we have a, there was one. There's one beautiful scene in the play that his housekeeper. Uh, it begins with his housekeeper, and the, we have the first scene in the big office, 
and that's finished. And he's uh, he's yelled at well, not necessarily he's dealt with uh, Cratchit, and he's dealt with his nephew, and sent the nephew off and saying, "No, I'm not coming. I'm not coming." Uh, you know, tough. Um, and the, the stage goes to black, and those uh, kind of black, and then those things get taken off, and then lights sort of come up, and from one far, fall, the one side door, this. Uh, this person walks in all dressed in black with a very straight back and and this uh, this actress totally fierce beautiful actress carrying a can long stand up can with a th- candle on the top and she carries that in so bloody slow you go what the hell is going on this is so boring and she sets it down she walks all the way across the front of the stage and sets it down then she walks off same speed and she comes back on with a chair at exactly the same speed and walks across. And by the time she sets the chair down and walks off, you're killing the audience is killing themselves laughing. Uh, and it's just a great, you, you can't believe how wonderful real clown is when it's, when it's, it's, you just commit to something so strongly and there's not, hardly an ounce of action going on and then and then i come in and snap my fingers to get my clothes taken off and get my house coat on and and i'm exhausted from my day of being so goddamn nice (laughs) and so glad to be home and i can and i can yell at her (laughs) my shoes fast enough my into my slippers or get my coat off the right way, or get me into my gown the right way. Um, it, it was just, it's just a, a beautiful setup for finding out what a jerk he is, because you might not believe it in the first two scenes, although you realize he is controlling them, uh, yeah. controlling weaker, weaker people. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and that, that, that uh, gown, uh, that house coat that, mm. The, the director said, I, I can't send you into the world out there uh, with uh, with the sleeping cap on and in your and in, 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 a, in a in a nightgown. I I want you to look good. And him and the director, him and the, the designer worked this all out and they came up with that coat. So I get to wear that coat through the whole thing and the flow of that coat, the way it moves and uh, picks up the light and and. Throughout so throughout the whole evening, I I look like this marvelous actor, but it's 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 the cloak. It's, you look like a million bucks, <laughs> absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> oh uh-huh. God! I uh, the last time I talked with you, uh, I said I was asking you about what was going on, and and you said that you were getting you, you guys were trying to come up with a way of doing. Um, the show or pieces of it, something is in development on zoom. And I would love to be able to feature a piece of that. Some of the cast, all of the cast for a, a preview before whatever it is that you're going to do, um, uh, comes out to, to get that featured in some element on dial the gate. Cause I think fans would eat it up getting a chance to see you perform live. Um, well, it's it. 
see the problem the, the thing is with we, the actors will not be together we will right. all be seated. we will all be seated um we will probably be reading yep. uh you know and from what we remember or recall or how much work we decide to put back into the script um oh, how many of the faces we'll be able to see in who you're who you're talking to uh, i'm not sure how it's all going to work i think they're going to try and um uh, do uh, they're attempting maybe to get it together well before they present it or before they present it so that they can add in um photos mm. as, as we move through the story to show you what that character looks like to show you what the lighting and the set look like as we move through uh but th that's starting to get into production values and theaters aren't making money nowadays right so it depends on how much they can find to put this thing together and they think it's going to air on the 23rd or i think that's what they were trying for to air it on december the 23rd i guess on zoom or mm -hmm. i don't know if that goes through youtube or mm -hmm. how it works um, so i don't know what's going to really be available uh i have no idea uh, I'm not in on this production process of it, other than being the actor. Um, so I don't know what they're going to come up with, but anything they do come up with and they will allow to get out there that uh, I can pass off to you, I certainly will. Please and thank you, yeah. The the nice thing about Zoom, especially with the actors, if they're all on their own controls, is that they can turn their own video on and off. So if yeah. they're in a scene or they're not in a scene, they can do their, and it'll change the gallery view Scene yeah. by scene. So I, I suspect that it'll be, it'll work itself out. And if you use a software like I do, it's called OBS. You can put a background on there of yeah. the location that you're in. Yeah. So it's, it's just like inviting the audience to go on a, on a journey with you of the imagination, just like, just like any play is. So it's just, all, all it comes down to is the audience's will to go. So yeah. I'm looking forward to it. And I, regardless of whether or not we can do something uh, together um, with, with the production company, I wish you guys all the best. Well, thank you. Thank you. So, um, Tom, who are your heroes? Who are the people responsible uh, directly and indirectly in your life uh, for making you the, the person that you've uh, become? Um, <laughs> wow. Um, no pressure, just that. <laughs> uh, I don't know. A lot of people know what they want to what they want to do, or which direction they want to go. Uh, relatively early in life, and even by the time I got out of high school and stuff, I had no idea uh, what I wanted to do. And then uh, I mucked around with some labor jobs, and I, th I never thought I was smart enough to go to university until I realized. The friends, some of the friends I used to hang out with were going to university. And I then I went, oh, wait a minute. I don't know how I got that idea in my head. Um, uh, but I did go off and, and became a computer programmer and uh, ended up working in Winnipeg and uh, away from home and new friends. And uh, I accidentally at a bar one night ended up getting talked into going for rehearsals for an amateur musical. And called Oklahoma, and I went, and um, <laughs> I, and mostly was chasing chasing females. Um, <laughs> uh, and I belonged to that group for uh, I don't know three three years, yeah, about three years. 
but I also, once I'd done a few the musical stuff, uh, one of the directors got me into his amateur group uh, that did Canadian uh, home-written stuff. Uh, and then I also joined a couple of other amateur groups doing stuff. Um, so I was actually spending more time mucking around doing theater stuff than I was uh, actually at work. Um, <laughs> and I decided that I wanted to go to theater school. I sort of got enough encouragement from a couple of people to say, you know, you know, look into it, but don't just decide to be an actor and go do it, go get some training. So I went off, I, I managed to uh, audition for the University of Alberta's uh, BFA program and got in there and spent three years there. Uh, while I was there, I met a couple of people, uh, but one of them, the one that really stands out, uh, is currently uh, is currently in the hospital, just having had her hip <laughs> operated on. She fell down and broke it. Uh, she's, uh, uh, let's see, how old is she? She's 87. She lives on her own in uh, wow. outside of Sault Ste. Marie. Her husband died uh, a few years ago. He was a painter who designed our loony. His, on his name the coin. The coin. Um, he died about four years ago, cancer. She's lived on her own since. And uh, two weeks before, well, about a month before he died, she broke her leg. And I was there when she broke it. And so she spent... Uh, I don't know, a week, in, a week in the hospital and then demanded that she get out so she could go back to the house to look after him. Um, and I left about that time uh, to come back here to Vancouver. Um, so she did look after him. But over the last four years, and I have gone every year to visit them for many, many years, usually in the spring to help put the garden in. Um, and so I have done that until this year and I couldn't go. Uh, last year, uh, it was difficult I would have to stop watching her go up and down the stairs that the bathroom was upstairs and her bedroom was upstairs. And I, I had to stop watching her because it was just too frightening. Um, she's got, <laughs> she's got, uh, she's got all this massive strength inside her, but her body is kind of failing and she wants to die there. She, this is where they've decided that that's where they want to end things. So there's no way to talk them into getting out or talk her into getting out now. But we don't know what's going to happen with this one when she ends up getting out. But she is the lady, a stage designer, who um, taught one of the uh, an odd course uh, that they developed at the U of A. Um, uh, what was it called? I can't even remember. The, well, the name will come back. Um but it was it was basically uh, uh, teaching actors or teaching students how to understand art aesthetics. What makes art art? Why is uh, why why is uh, uh, say the uh, the carving of the lobster fisherman from Nova Scotia or from Maine not really considered a piece of art? And Michelangelo's David is considered a piece of art. Like what's uh, um, what in the theater, what in the theater where it eventually comes to where, where it's acting students. So what in the theater can be considered art and what can be, what's considered to be entertainment. What's, uh, um, uh, how, how, can you call yourself an artist in the theater or are you a collaborative artist? How many, how many pieces of inspiration come into you that are someone else's inspiration? 
someone else's vision for the first time that that they've ever brought that up and then they like a writer puts it on a page and a designer pulls it from somewhere maybe steals it who knows i mean some <laughs> a lot of good writers say you know, if you want to write well steal so <laughs> and they say shakespeare did too so oh he most certainly did but it's the way you take those those pieces of information and put them together yeah and then you bring an actor in right. and a director in and um uh more inspiration comes in or more roadblocks or more you know more hurdles to climb over um so that course that course uh, you you had to uh, the very first thing you had to do was to do a still life of something that made a statement that had something to say um something that could be argued something that could be discussed um some of the students were successful. Some of them were absolutely not successful. Um, one person put up a, a nice piece of a black uh, felt with a vase and a flower in it with the petals. Some of the petals had fallen off. And um, uh, she was so livid with that student. She says, we can't talk about that. that that's got nothing to... That says nothing. It says nothing. That is all. That's all got something to do with feelings and emotion. It's it's that we want to discuss something. It's that's too. Uh, there's nothing specific enough about that. Um, uh, one guy put up. Uh, what did he do? It was a schoolhouse. It's a schoolhouse that he put firecrackers inside and blew it up. And, and <laughs> there's something to talk about. My uh, God. <laughs> that kid that kid left before the end of the school year and he was he this this kid was he could he could play James Taylor and sing James all James Taylor stuff and everybody just loved this guy and he could talk a mile a minute but he was to- a total destroyer he was a total manipulator and uh he he eventually a few of us sort of ganged up on him at one point in a movement class uh, he was uh, some, he was some, I don't know. I can't remember what he was doing. And, and we kind of forced him out of the class and then he went and quit. And uh, within then a few years later, a couple of us, some of the lady friends stayed uh, written friends with him and he was asking for money from them. And some of them were sending him money. And then eventually he was in jail in, in Florida for something. <laughs> he, he was a, uh, he was just a fast mover. Uh, so that was his little, it was his, this destruction thing. And she did talk in theater there. And I heard this sense many times from different people that in, in art, you deal with creation, not destruction. Um, you can, you can use, uh, perhaps a destructive image to, to say stuff, but, uh, ultimately those things have to, uh, create, create something. something. Um, and mine, I had no idea what she was talking about. This lady used terrible words like gestalt and, um, and universal and all these weird terms. And I just thought she was just mouth, mouth, mouth. Um, uh, and mine, I, I had a, a skull it was an ashtray that you used the, the, the mouth to put your ashes in. So it was holes for the eyes and the ears. And so I took that and I put a bunch of twigs in it, in all the holes. And then I hung all religious symbols all over the, 
the tree. And I didn't know, I mean, I just said, well, you know, the only reason we have religion is because we're all scared to die. So that was my little thing. Yeah. And she thought that was pretty interesting. And so she, I got, I got a little bit of praise from her, but I still didn't like her. And it wasn't until we got into the next step of things where we had to write a little stage production and produce it and like get actors to do it and light it and get the setup for it. And it had to say something. And uh, somebody had done something about, I don't know, Coke machine, some kind of Coke machine thing. And at the end of it, we would discuss stuff. If she thought it was worth discussing, she would open up the floor to discuss and say, okay, let's see what this has to say. And, uh, uh, at some point, somebody had said something that I didn't quite agree with. So I put my hand up to talk. And, uh, and then I changed my mind. And I put my hand down and she said, no, Tom, what do you have to say? Because I hadn't said much for the first six weeks or so. So I said, no, it's okay. It's okay. Never mind. And she went, no, no, what do you have to say? Yeah, you, you were going to say something. What is it? What was it? I said, I said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like, forget it. And she started walking around my chair that I was sitting in. She started poking me in the back and say, come on, say it. It won't hurt. Come on, say it. Say it. Just say it. And I went, oh, for Christ's sake. So I said it. And she said, see, that wasn't so hard. You know, he's got a, he's got a point. Now, it's not really a great point, but it's a point. <laughs> so... She told me years later, and it wasn't long after that that we that I, I got to understand all those terms that she used, and and um, but she said that was for her that was, she said you were taking over my class. She said, and I I had to stop that. See, you were the older, I was the oldest person in the class. Okay. So she said all these kids were uh, thinking you were a god. She said so. I she said I had to fix that because it was my class, not yours. So, so she said, I decided to push you hard enough to either come across to my side or, or shut up. And then I would tell you to shut up now. You can't talk anymore. You're not in my class. You can, you can watch. Um, but you came across and everything worked. So over the next uh, uh, two and a half years, uh, she, I, th I think the thing she taught me most was about responsibility. And I don't know if I'd ever understood what that meant as a child growing up uh, to your responsibility to your parents or your brothers and sisters or to the school you were going to or to the class you were in or to the subject you were taking or to yourself. I, I yeah, I don't think I understood responsibility at all. And she said, you know, in this theater, in the theater, you the, the writer, you have to be responsible to that writer and that writer's vision and, and his under, his vision of what he was going for. Even if the director decides to take it someplace else, you have to be responsible and accept the director's uh, vision. Um, even sometimes, or as often as not, is a non-vision. Uh, you have to learn to work with that. You can't simply fight it. Uh, you have to... Uh, participate with the actors that you work with. You have to respect what they're bringing or not bringing. And if there's, and she, she did say one great thing that has always stuck in my mind. She said, there's no such thing as a bad actor. There's actors and there's non-actors. So if you're working with a bunch of non-actors, the best, the best actors will make those non-actors look good. So that's one of your jobs. If you want a piece of theater to work, um, you have to get involved with everyone there on the stage and with the director and with, and largely with the writer and, 
uh, and you can't simply believe that your way is the only way. Mm-hmm. Um, so over the years, uh, you know, s- some of that I took too far for a while. And then when you get out into the world, uh, I mean, one of the things she did to say also to me was, look, you got, well, this is my favorite thing. She said, Tom, you have a, you have a small talent. Look after it. <laughs> so that's, that's a bad, to me. interesting slap across the, <laughs> like, it's, it's well, a good talent, but it's a little one. <laughs> oh my God. You have a small talent, so look after it. So now, and I understand, you know, I've understood it in many different ways over the years. Uh, you know, you can take it as an insult, hmm. but she also thought the word talent was a huge word. So, uh, you know, I, I think she knew, I think she could, she knew that I would never be uh, one of the, one of the great world actors, but she did know that I could be a good, she did know that I was a, a fine actor, that I could get out there on stage and I could carry a show. I could work with people. I had a, a decent brain. You know, she made me understand that too, that I didn't have to protect it. Um, and sometimes I took that a little too far in protecting what I believed when I got out and first started working. But those things just came, the things she used to talk about came back again and again and again. And as uh, I always did, even from the beginning, had favorite actors I worked with here in Vancouver, that uh, they would just blow my mind what they could do and how they could do it and how it appeared, how easily they could do it. And um, uh, and then as I've got older, I've realized that there are just so many different kinds of actors and they all don't work the same. And especially when you get into the film and TV business, um, it was really tough for a long time working my way into that business because it's so much different uh, style-wise from the, th- than the stage mm-hmm. where I'd worked for years and, and had been trained in. Um, um, just so many things that are different. Uh, and so the rapid way you had to learn a scene to go into audition for it. And then if you got the job, had to get to the set and nothing you had no idea what was going to happen in the next half hour. Uh, you had to really keep your mind open. You had to really be on top of your lines. You really had to be accepting of everything that was happening around you, the way the director wanted to shoot it uh, or whatever changes the, the DOP made or the cameraman made, or if there were three cameras on you and you had to, you know, the way you had to move around the set, all of that stuff is so different from stage work. Um, and you had to be really open to stuff going along. And all of that fed back into stage work for me as well. So, um, uh, so it's been a long and still uh, process of learning, and it started with that lady. And um, ah. I can't—I've talked to her two times a week for the last four years, ah. and she's in the hospital right now, and she's got no phone, so because she doesn't know how to <laughs> use it, <laughs> and they don't have any any of the old phones yeah. in there anymore. So uh, it's a bit tough for her, and uh, she's been there. I haven't talked to her in a week and a half. So, and she did. Uh, she fell on the floor at noon, and the lady who who comes to see her every morning to make her coffee and breakfast didn't arrive till the next morning. Oh God! And, oh. and um, she spent. She's a tough one. She's really tough. 
yeah, and she couldn't drag herself to the couch or into the into the carpeted area. So, Gosh, anyway, she's, yeah, she's man. tough. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for sharing that story. And uh, and a great uh, and I think a great painter herself and and a wonderful designer too. So, yeah. You told me something once that stuck with me. If they offer me something and it scares me, <laughs> I'll do it. I mean, you're George and who's afraid of Virginia Woolf and the other George and of mice and men. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, uh, I have taken on jobs where, where uh, uh, I've been, yeah, it, it, they have been for me a huge challenge. And, uh, but it's because the people wanting me have had a, their arms wide open and inviting me in to do it that gave me the courage to go ahead with it. So I don't think it's simply me saying, uh, oh, that's too scary. That's so scary. I have to do it. Um, uh, I, I know for Virginia Woolf, I said no three or four times. And wow. I, I just said, look, uh, I'm way too young for this because I'd only seen older guys play, yeah. play him. And um, then it was a, a production manager who had been pushing me. And she said, read the play, read the character description. So I read the character description and found out it was a guy that was my age. And um, uh, so uh, that, that made me say, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and it took the first week and a half of rehearsals. And I'd done a lot of work before I started on it. Uh, it took me a week and a half into rehearsal before I could drop all those things I'd learned from seeing old guys play them. Your preconceptions. And then it became, then it became mine, you know? So, um, yeah, yeah. It's really hard to leave preconceptions behind. Harry Mayborn. Mm. What a tour de force for you in, in many respects, Ebenezer Scrooge (laughs) in, in surprising ways you came in and (laughs) you came in in season one. And bowed out in season eight. That character is fully articulated over the course of those seven years. And Gate Gab, one of my moderators and I, uh, wanted to ask you right out of the gate here, pardon the pun, about auditioning and getting that part. Now, you tried to get some work on MacGyver for years. Yes, I did. I never got hired. Yeah, uh, I think I did probably 35 or 40 auditions for MacGyver. Um, <laughs> a little story I'll add a little bit later Later with uh, <laughs> about Michael Greenberg. Anyway. Right. <laughs> uh, go ahead. Um, and he was, he was great about it. Um, I always hated having to audition for military people because I never felt that um, that first of all that I had the, the stature or the voice uh, or the looks or 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 the character to be uh, you know uh, and to me the the sides I had were relatively one dimensional and I thought well maybe that's what they're asking for is just this one dimensional thing that that SG one has to has to overcome. Um, but I went and I did the audition and I was amazed that I got a call back and then I got hired. And that's really when I got scared. And I went in and I got, 
not the costume fitting with this with the with the beautiful uniform and the hat with the braid and the buttons and and I'd look at it and go, oh, I don't know. Oh God, I don't know. I don't know. Um, so I, I I got in there and um, what was that first one called? That was, an, that was Enigma. Yeah, there you go. Good for you. So, well, no, I did my homework today. I finally <laughs> sat down and went through and decided I'll, I'll figure out. Uh, and some of them I still don't really know what went on. But, I, <laughs> okay. but it's so wonderful that you can go to YouTube and you can get them all. It's Thank right you. there. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, so I did, I did do a little catch up on it. And as I was watching through all those things, you know, and I had, you know, I, I probably saw them early on, but I don't think I paid a lot of attention since then. And I, I think I've gone back and sort of looked at, uh, uh, paradise lost and uh, good to be King. Um, and then uh, the odd little moment in other stuff. Um, uh, but rewatching them, uh, the, the man in uniform, um, at times, God, I looked good. <laughs> yes, you did. Absolutely. <laughs> I, Those Air I, Force blues are, are beautiful. And I, you know, I've had uh, in my head, I've carried a long, a, long, a long time, I've carried the fact that I really wasn't very good at the military guy. Um, but I think I, and uh, I think as we, I think it wasn't until season three and I, and, and I went back and I found out, okay, it was foothold this happened in. And it was the first time that they had allowed me to be human. Uh, up until then I was an NID guy and all I did was spark at them, give them shit and try to scare them and, and take tilk from them. And yeah. And once in a while, I get pushed back um, uh, by a few things. But it was, and I think I talked about this particular scene that uh, uh, there was a scene in Foothold that was cut out of the cut out of the production, uh, probably because of length, or I'm not sure why. But it was with me and Amanda, and uh, it started out with me uh, uh, screwing up Amanda's warning about a foothold. And her famous uh, Mayborn, uh, you, know, you can be an idiot every day, every day of the week. week. <laughs> Take a day off. Um, <laughs> and then there's uh, then we work through it all and we save her. And then at the end, there's a scene in the office with uh, the general and uh, with RDA. And, and um, we're, we're doing a clearing stuff up and they say, well, good job, Mayborn. And I said, and I say something like, well, I'd like to give credit to, to, um, to was she a Colonel then? Colonel uh, it was, uh, it was Major Carter. Major Carter. And um, they all sort of look at me like, and I, it takes me a while to try to say it. And, um, and she says, she says something and I say something back and then, uh, I said something like, oh, well, perhaps we'll see each other again. And I give her this little, this little look, um, in, in kind of embarrassed look. And I hope, uh, well, maybe we'll see each other again. And, and, um, and O'Neill says, yeah, that would be nice. And it's like, for me, it's a, this shock thing. Um, well, it was that missing scene that made me do this, that scene that way, uh, because it was in that scene where, 
uh, I had said something to her and she had looked at me like he's human. And I had kind of, I think, I think Mayborn had at some level um, fallen slightly in love with uh, Carter. <laughs> Who can and blame him? We were all in love with Carter. Oh, I know. <laughs> his little heart, he'd gone, my God, what's happening to me? <laughs> and so that's, and I, I can't remember the exact, what the scene looked like. I can't remember the dialogue. Uh, I don't have any of the scripts and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I have no idea what it looked like on the page or what it looked like when they filmed it. But is that was that little look back to her when I said, uh, well, perhaps we'll get a chance to see each other again. And it, it was just this little glance, <laughs> this, this little kind of half embarrassed, half excited glance that maybe it'll happen again. Um, and it was, and it was not too long after that. I think, uh, which was the, the following season, was it Shades, Shades of Grey where I get frozen? Or uh, shade, uh, uh, So you get, fr- we're skipping ahead a little bit, but yeah, that's Watergate when you get frozen. Watergate, yeah. yeah um, in Siberia. <laughs> I'm out of the uniform after that. And from then right. on, I, I felt like I was Mayborn and I didn't have to be the NID guy. I could be my own mischievous um, a manipulator of things and do it. I didn't have to answer to anybody. That was a joy to it. That was a, it was um, Mayborn, Mayborn on his own. And, uh, uh, and he could help where he wanted, or he could ask for help when he needed it. I loved that, that movement through season three and season four. Um, after that episode in, in foothold, you're an idiot of every day of the week. Why don't you just take one day off um, the next time. And that, glimmer of humanity that we see him in him the next time we see him he's back at his old tricks again he finds yeah. out what's happened with jack at the uh, sgc and recruits him into his mission and it's just a descent into darkness for this guy um if you could dispense with the melodrama as i crank up Pagliacci over here i'll talk about you know joining your team um i think a big part of the arc of mayborn really starts right there because you know after that he's on the run you know, he has to he has to get in bed with the Russians just to keep from getting his head cut off. Yeah. Um, see, th- those those are parts of the build through it that I have forgotten, and I'd have to go back and look at the whole episodes to see really what happened what happens there. And maybe even at the time, I was so confused about it, I would just go and do the scenes <laughs> because because <laughs> I, I often had no idea. Um, the larger story. Suddenly I'm in an air. I got my own airplane. Right. Exactly. All this shit, you know, I had no idea I had that kind of power to start with. (laughs) Um, Now the writers, I I don't know. uh, The the character, obviously they had a a lot of fun with and uh, thank God. Thank God. They kept adding, you know, every time I'd come on set, there would be another color in, in the character. Um, that I'd have to incorporate. And, and as I say, I think the first episode, I kind of started off one-dimensional. and But every time I came back, there would be these colors added in. Um, just the, the genius of the writing um, was amazing to me. Um, to, to finally, well, the jump, jumping way ahead to Paradise Lost and, mm, and, good um, and Good to be King, you know, those those 
from where that character started and they took him all the way through all that stuff and got him to those places. Yeah. Um, just magical. Do you want to bring up the Michael Greenberg comment now? Oh, I, I can't remember which. I think it was, I think it was around season. foothold. It was around, well, it was season two or season three. Yeah. Usually you would, uh, at lunchtime, they would read the next episode. So if you were in the next episode, you would come at their lunchtime for the episode they were shooting and everyone get around the table and they would read it. And uh, the characters that knew their characters would talk about, I don't think, uh, I, I think we should build that on that part a little bit, but I think this part here doesn't land in the character. And I, this is why I think that can anybody tell me, am I right or wrong? Or should we muck with that? And, notes would be taken and all that kind of stuff. And I, at one point during the reading, maybe it was close to the end, Greenberg looked down and I was maybe five, five seats down from it at the, at the big table. So there were people all around this large table. And he, he looked down to him and he said, God, you're a good actor. How come we never had you, never had you on MacGyver? And I, and I looked down the table and I said, I auditioned for you fuckers 40 times and you never hired me. <laughs> That's why I wasn't on fucking MacGyver. <laughs> and <laughs> he took it well though <laughs> and then we laughed like hell oh god <laughs> <laughs> oh man that is funny but yes no the yeah in, in foothold uh jack joins his team and uh the next the next time we see him he's with the russians and you're in an industrial kitchen yeah in a freezer Frozen like a board. Yeah. And there's a, there's a story there. Uh, yeah. Your poor so they, eyes. They, so they haul me out and they put me on a, on the industrial kitchen table. And this was a, this was a, a huge kitchen for one of the major, uh, major exposition sites for Expo 86 that we had here in Vancouver. And they still did a lot of convention stuff in this particular place. So it was a huge working kitchen. So they threw me up uh, under, underneath the warming counter, up onto the warming counter, with the um, with the infrared lights. There was uh, I don't know three or four or five hanging above me, where you know the, the the meals cooked, and they throw it out there and keep it warm till the the waiter comes in to grab them and take them away. And I'd been frozen with my eyes open, so I was covered all over with uh, they spritzed me all over yeah. with uh, warm wax, and then let it dry and so it looked like ice and frost and and then they snowed it and did all this stuff <laughs> so i'm laying there uh and they're thawing me out underneath there and eventually i thaw out and um just the eyes it's the creepiest scene and then i sit up and 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 uh i start to walk around in funny ways and and o'neill pulls out his gun and says uh, Mayborn, stop! Stop this! And I turn him around and I walk past him again, and I get so far, and and he says, "Stop, or I'll shoot." And Tilk is standing down there towards the end, and suddenly I stop and do a freeze, and then fall onto my knees, and I I vomit, and um, then I stand up, and I realize that the vomit is the the stuff that is the entity alive, but it's also the bad thing. So I grab O'Neill and I throw them into the freezer and tilt it gets the stuff. And then uh, the foot, the, the, it all continues. Um, uh, and I eventually end up in jail. <laughs> but, <laughs> to be hung for treason. Right. Oh, and man. so 
Um, later in the day, as we as we continue to film, uh, I start my eyes start to kind of fog over, and um, they feel kind of odd, and um, things are getting blurry, and not extremely so, but enough for me to start to worry about it a bit. So I went to the first aid person. And uh, she looked and she said, oh, no, it looked fine. And they give me some eye drops and stuff. And during the day, they got a tad better. And it wasn't until when I got home and they were, still, they were still foggy and weird. And I went, oh, my God, I was lying there underneath these infrared lamps and got my eyeballs cooked. <laughs> so they had obviously done something to the... To, to part of the eyes. How long um, did it take to clear up? It was only a, it was only two or three days or but four still, days. Still, how scary, you know? Yeah, it, for for someone <laughs> for someone in the in the community of Stargate that have all this knowledge, <laughs> no one right? knew I was eyeballs cooked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No. Oh. In the very next uh, episode, we see him on death row. And uh, Jack goes in and says, hey, we need your help here. He's like, all right, all right, I'll help you. Get me out of here. Get me one of those nice, pretty presidential pardons. That great exchange, the Starsky and Hutch, which I think if I think I remember correctly, you said that that was uh, an ad lib from Rick with Ronnie Cox. Is that right? Yeah. Tell us that story. It's a great story. Well, it was it was actually his wife was at the door. Uh, she came to the door first and, uh, and they wanted to talk to the uh, senator. Uh, and she says, well, who's calling? And he said, uh, um, uh, I'll just tell him it's Starsky and Hutch or whatever. And I looked at him and... and This is not in the script. It's not in the script. And I, look, I look at him and, and, and then he goes, uh, he's Starsky, I'm Hutch. And he looks at me, gives me a look like, huh? And then he goes, he's Starsky, I'm Hutch. And I'm going to stand there and just go... <laughs> and she says i'll be right back and she closes the door <laughs> you bastard <laughs> it's like he wanted to throw stuff at you just to watch you dance you know in the heat well, of the moment well i i i i, I do think and that wasn't the only time that he would change something up mm. um uh and i i i I was told that he really enjoyed working with me and uh, I certainly enjoyed working with him uh, so much. So, especially in the later part of stuff. Mm. Um, but even before that, the, the back and forth stuff was fun too. Um, but I think he used to throw those things there just to see my face, just to see this, this absolute fear in my face as I had to work my way through it and continue. <laughs> and I think he got a lot of joy out of that. <laughs> Absolutely. There's chemistry there that is just, undeni- there's an odd couple chemistry that is just undeniable. And I think it's one of the reasons that the reason that, that they kept on having you back was because it worked, you know, mm-hmm. they would, they would put you guys in, in situations where you had to work your way out. And it was hysterical for us as audience members to watch these two people who don't really like each other all that much, but they recognize the utility in each other that, all right, here we go. I got to get back together with Mayborn and pull this thing off. Cause he's the only one who can get me out, you know, was just hilarious. Ah, yeah. I totally enjoyed that, man. Yeah. 
Paradise Lost, fishing with C4. One of my favorite scenes. <laughs> it's just wrong on so many levels. Oh. Well, even looking at, at how uh, how I manipulated everyone to get through the gate and him mm-hmm. jumping up. Being... With the hot dogs and, yeah, yeah. lighting the gate yeah. coordinates on fire. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and actually taking out Carter with that thing, you know, like. Oof. Yes. Um, um, yeah, so so there we were, the, just the two of us um, in the middle and apparently nowhere looking for this place that ultimately has been decaying for hundreds of years that didn't really exist or didn't still exist. And uh, having very little to eat, um, we did find a certain vegetable there that we could eat, which uh, ultimately in the, in the uh, episode drives us both a little crazy. Um, but at one point, a, uh, when we're sort of only, well, I don't know. I think we were starting to get a little crazy. Um, mm-hmm. I've, gone, I've been off somewhere on my own after an argument or something. And, uh, and Jack's been eating more to... fish than you have. So you, you've been getting much more of the compound than he has just to set up people who haven't seen uh, the story in a while. Uh, so I kneels down fishing. Yeah. And um, uh, so I walk down and ask him how he's, how he's doing. He says, oh, a couple of nibbles, not, not much. And uh, so I reach into my pocket and pull out <laughs> something and look down at it and take it and throw it into the water. And uh, there's an explosion. <laughs> <laughs> and all these fish come to the top. <laughs> and <clears throat> he just gives me this look like, what? And I walk, I'm, the, I'm instructed to walk in. The cameras are all around, walk into the water. And I'm supposed to take fish and, br- and bring the fish back. But there were so many fish that I just started, I'd grab a fish and then I'd throw it at him. And I just kept throwing fish at him. <laughs> and he was jumping around. God, it was fun. Um, <clears throat> those kind of, uh, those kind of uh, times were great when you could just jump a little bit off the script. And uh, it was fun. The, but also, yeah. it was also, also in there where that I was told that, well, Mayborn was special ops. And I went, I was special ops. Yeah. No, we're, we're, we're uh, six seasons later, and I, I was special ops. <laughs> they said, yeah. <laughs> so I'm you didn't know? To, <laughs> I'm know how to fire all these weapons. Yeah, I'm munitions, to, and yeah. So, so at one point, I'm supposed to start throwing, what's the stuff, the plastic explosives? Yeah, the C4. Yeah, I'm supposed to be throwing it like grenades over the wall at little chunks of it at, at O'Neill over in that part. And I said, I don't know. How do I do this? And they said, well, you're special ops. You're supposed to know this. I said, I don't. And I wasn't. So <laughs> I, I to teach me how to. Yeah, I didn't want, properly. I didn't want to do it like I'd seen, you know, the old black and white movies because I didn't know if that was real. Yeah, there's got to be a right way to do it. Of course. That was, that was fun. My personal favorite Mayborn moment um, is 48 Hours. And uh, Jack's getting gas. Oh, this one, yeah. That, oh. I, that, that scene, yeah, that's a good scene, huh? The the, the truck between them is the only yeah. thing saving Mayborn's ass. Because he thinks that the last time they saw each other that uh, Mayborn shot him. Yeah. You rat bastard! I'm so going to kick your ass! <laughs> you had said um, there, what, there was a, the last time that you and I were together... Uh, you had mentioned um, your favorite moment is 48 hours. Uh, Jack accuses Mayborn 
of being a traitor. Mm-hmm. And Mayborn stops and he turns around and he marches straight back to him. Yeah. He says, do you believe that? And, yeah. o- and Rick as, and O'Neill are completely disarmed by, you know, cause, cause Mayborn's just, he's never been like that with him, yeah. you know, and you, you deliberately took a moment there to be like, okay, you jerk. I'm working with you here. You know, are you really going to accuse me of doing this right now when, you know, your friend is in danger? No, I, uh, yeah, it was, um, uh, yeah, you, dr- you drop all the, you drop everything and just say what's who you are. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not protective. It's not anything else. It's, um, uh... when we finally got to see, uh, him after the incident on the, uh, the, the planet with the skeletons and the, uh, paradise lost, he had come a bit of a long way. Um, Kieran, when we were, we were back at, uh, the gate convent convention, Kieran had mentioned that, that his favorite moment of, um, of Harry is, uh, the opening shot, uh, where we're seeing his village and Mayborn is, I think he's enjoying like a fruit or something with all the girls around him and, it, and the team walks in and he's like, hi guys, how you doing? Tell us about it's good to be king. Well, you know, what a surprise when they'd say you're coming back uh, because uh, I you took a year off. I wasn't in season seven. And um, and then when the script came up and it was there, it's good to be king. And I'm in the whole episode, kind of. And you just go, wow, because they have most of the episodes. There were two or three stories, at least two stories going on at once. Right. And this one here, it was largely just one large story. Um, uh, and it was just uh, well <laughs> and then go and then you add that you walk into your costume fitting and you got furs and you got a little crown <laughs> <laughs> and then you get on set and they do have all, all these ladies around and um, and you can just snap your fingers for stuff <laughs> He's a king. Uh, it was uh, it was very different from the Mayborn I knew. <laughs> Absolutely, I would suspect so. And uh, going up against um, Wayne Brady, who was the the Jaffa, I think it was Trelock, Trelac. I think it's. Is... Oh, I, I don't know what the name. Yeah, um, it, it was a good send off to a character who had come full circle, um, who had just start off started off as this hatchet guy wanting to kill everyone, all the aliens in the gate room, to someone who had taken a look at his own soul. And either he recognized that he was flawed or just every little bit of trying to say, of of trying to move in the right direction with people, he was recognizing, he was liking the dopamine hit of being of being a nicer guy. Um, I think I think it's, what's interesting about Mayborn is that he was never, his, his objectives were not exactly exclusive from SG-1s, but his way to go about it was just completely different. He he did want to protect the Earth from from alien interference. Uh, yeah, I, I I agree. I agree with that. I, I think, uh, yeah, it's a. But you can also look at it in in a couple of ways. Like you can look at uh, Trump trying to save America the way he wants to, and and then the way maybe we should go about it. Right. So, uh, uh, I think his was 
more in the uh, well, let's see, more in the destructive way of it. Um, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> but it's also, it's also you know what you grow up with, mm. and and your understanding of the world, and and, uh, and he understood it in a certain way, and uh, and ran with that baton in that direction, and um, then as he moves through that, he gets hit with real life stuff and starts to become. Uh, he starts to become educated, starts to become human, uh, even though he was human to start with. Right. He had a very narrow vision, and he probably had a narrow vision from the time he was a young person mm -hmm. on, on how to get out there and and uh, participate in the world. If there was any single scene that I loved um, in terms of watching this character become one thing into another, it's the scene where you guys were down... Um, by I forget I forget where it is the uh, the the location where uh, they made it look like Jamaica. Oh yeah, and uh, uh, Mayborn is calling the SGC. How he got this number, I have no idea. But Kinsey arranged for Mayborn to to be moved to another place while he awaits his execution. <laughs> and there, you you took an opportunity with with uh, with a, a, a background act, actress and yeah. and ran with it. Tell, tell this story one more time. Um, well, if any of you have been to Vancouver, you've, you may have been to English Bay. English uh, Bay, is, that's it. Which is which is a beautiful. Uh, was it English Bay? Yeah, I got it. Yeah, uh, English Bay. Yes, yes. So, but not quite English Bay. So it was more towards Sunset Beach, but it's the same area. Um, and it's 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 a a beautiful ocean thing with a false creek across the way and and you can see the gulf islands it's not the gulf islands but uh west vancouver and stuff um and some of the islands um and they wrapped the telephone poles and um uh, whatever with hemp and hung mm. fronds off it and they hired a uh a, a steel band um uh, and the order went out to get every black extra they could find to come down. And uh, I, and I had on a pair of long socks and sandals, white socks with sandals and shorts and a T-shirt with a Hawaiian kind of tropical shirt and a big straw hat. And I've, <laughs> I've, I've managed to, um, I've managed to uh, see this was, uh, this was uh, after, this is the end of chain reaction. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, they just finished incriminating the senator. Yeah, who and, felt uh, obliged to help. Yeah, and for, for at some level, either uh, either RDA or O'Neill lets me get away, or I manage to escape. Right. And they're trying to set this up to be. I think I'm making a phone call from Jamaica. Yeah, I think, but I'm actually just at it. It's somewhere in the Caribbean. Yeah. yeah. So I make the phone call, and at the end of the phone call, like I've hold out, held up the phone so Jack can hear the music, and and I hang up, and the director just said, "Okay, now once you hang up, just walk down down towards the band now. Just walk down towards the band, and we'll finish off uh, with you just walking away, and we'll go back to uh, to the scene in the office with uh, Jack and and the the general, and um, so I'm walking down there, and this." this uh, extra walks right in front of me. Um, and I guess she's been told to walk across and she does. And I grab her 
<laughs> and we start to dance and we dance all the way down all the way down to the to the band and finally they yell cut and then everybody just breaks into laughter and uh i didn't think it was that funny but uh uh and they kept it they kept absolutely it the- yeah. <laughs> it's it little cool. it's things that like that that show you know even a person whose motives on the out- outside are not favorable um there's hope you know <laughs> there's a piece of humanity in there somewhere well there's a bit of celebration that was also the 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 uh the episode that ronnie cox was in yeah and playing senator and uh uh of course i'd always uh, i'd always admired him in what i'd seen him in and i knew he'd been in a couple of the, a couple of episodes anyway yes and uh, but it was so great to meet him and uh, a lovely, lovely gentleman. Um, and he talked about, you know, I, I, he talked about uh, acting and being a Canadian actor and him, he talked about him and his wife. His wife was, uh, gosh, in, in some kind of physics or medical, huge, uh, huge degree out mm. of university with honors and ended up having to work at a lesser level than what she was capable of because she was a woman. And he got out of theater school and was trying to keep uh, food on the table, playing his banjo in coffee clubs. And and um, out of the blue, he got a call to come to fly to L.A. to audition for a film uh, because of his banjo playing, not because of his acting. And so he went and he auditioned and he got the part. And it was in... It it's was Deliverance. In, uh, deliverance. Great movie. He said, since that time, he said, I never had to audition for anything. And he said, the difference between what I had to do for the years after, before, after I got out of the theater school and that particular incident, he said, I was just an actor. And he said, after that, he said, I got scripts sent. I got asked to do stuff. He said, the whole world just changed up. from one thing. Um, uh so, but he also mentioned, he said, uh, oh, somebody had, it was one of the first PT cruisers, you know, the little Pontiac that they, that they made uh, that looked like an old style van type thing. Uh-huh. It, they had just come out and one of the, one of the Teamsters had got one. And so it was the first one that many had seen for real. So he had parked it right up in the front of the senator's house with the big columns and stuff. And everybody was looking at it, and, including Ronnie and I, and, He says, you know, we just got a new car, this Lexus, and he gave a number. He said, it's a beautiful car. You should go drive one of those. They're just wonderful. And I looked at him and I said, Ronnie, I'm a Canadian actor. And he just put his hands up to his mouth. He said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. sorry. I forgot. I forgot. I forgot. I forgot. And that's when he told me the story of when he was just a New Yorker. Ah, I see. Yeah. Yeah. For some people, lightning... There, it's the lightning just strikes for them, and you know you have to, you have to be thankful for the for the opportunities that you've been given, for yep. sure. Yeah, some so. producer somewhere saw him in a bar or in a coffee house in New York, and and looked him up and found out he was also an actor. And way that's went. it, absolutely. Yep. You had mentioned to me that you had, um, I think you had auditioned for Atlantis at some point, or maybe maybe later on in SG One. And they said, you're too recognizable as Mayborn. 
Oh no, no they, I actually got uh, I got sent the audition to do it, and then it was canceled before I got there, just because, <sighs> just because they said no. Everyone knows you was Mayborn, and we can't bring in here as somebody else. <laughs> no, I understand that totally. I do too, uh, but it still sucks. But, you know, I, the other actors have come in. You know, Garwin Sanford, you know, Anna Grower, they've played other people with the same face. It just yeah, seems true. frustrating. Um, well, I, I do know back in the uh, back in the old days. Um, let's see if I can remember the. Uh, uh, which which one it was well some of the cannel stuff we got in cannel stuff over and over and over again in uh, uh in um in uh um oh come on tom um uh oh golly it's okay um uh oh this is really weird because it it's one of the, the big uh series that came out of vancouver for years uh X-Files. ah okay Okay. X-Files, I was three different characters there. Yeah. You know, that's, uh, so they didn't care. Like uh, you'd come back and people understood you were an actor. Um, yeah. But as I think as, as things have moved on, that kind of stuff doesn't happen as much anymore. It's, uh, it's pretty tough to come on and play different characters uh. and stuff. Uh, Unobfuscated wanted to know what was your relationship like with the cast off camera, considering your character, especially so early on, was so antagonistic. Uh, you know, that was one of the greatest sets to to arrive on. Uh, everyone through the producers, the crew, the camera people, and the act, and I believe the actors set the tone for it. Mm. They were it was. When when you got a call that you were coming back to that set, you just went, oh gosh, and you come back and and you were just embraced as part of the family. And they were they, they appeared, you know, whether they were just good actors or not, <laughs> but they appeared to really enjoy having you back. You know, it was it was uh, it was awfully 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 nice. You know, um, nice. It was exhilarating. Claire Cowan wanted to know what it was like being directed by Amanda Tapping in Travelers. Uh, oh my! Uh, well, uh, another great was, role. Well, it was. It's too bad it was only the one episode. This is true. This is a good. <laughs> I show. thought it. Well, gosh, what was the name of the character? Um, 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 it was a French name. Um, uh, Bo something. Bo Ellis. Something. Ellis, sorry? Ellis, Traveler 0014 was a farmer. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. We weren't talking about her episode. We were talking about, um, we're t- sorry, we we're talking about that that series. Uh, I thought we were talking about her show. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, we're, oh, I'm she, talking about Travelers. Uh, didn't Amanda guest? Uh, yeah, she did. Yeah, yeah she directed no, that one. That, well, you know, she's, <laughs> you know, once in a while you'll look over and you see her being serious with somebody about something. But most of the time, uh, it's a great pleasure, you know. Um, uh, and that was, God, I had fun on that one, too. That was a ton of fun. And I thought since I had such a low number, they would never kill me. <laughs> That's right. Zero, zero, one. This is one of, your, one of the earlier Travelers. If you have yeah. not seen that series, go check out Travelers. It is fantastic. Brad Wright, three seasons. Uh, it's a good binge. So Yeah. Yeah, and you 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 always have to keep asking Brad questions to try and understand the concept. Absolutely, <laughs> he's so far ahead, you yeah. know. 
and the audience were like, what's more information? More from ah, you just got to wait. So the yeah, time yeah. profit, uh, have you always been able to remember your lines or did you develop a technique for learning lines and retaining them? I'm always curious about this as, as you know, asking actors, because I, I can never remember a sentence to save my life without reading it. It's really weird. Cause as I'm getting older, uh, I worry about that more than anything. And uh, trying to learn in uh, two days, uh, three or four pages for an audition is I need at least that much time now. Yeah. And still then, if there's too many sentences with too much description and names of chemicals or people or places, I, I want it to be correct. And if I miss one thing, I fall apart. I can't keep going. Um, I, I, I never did have a real facility and was never trained to have the facility to improvise. And um, uh, I never had much practice at it. And one of the, one of the th- things I may have to practice is as I'm, as I'm moving into this thing of uh, not really having the lines down 200% of being able to continue. Um, uh, I never used to uh, see, no, I always did have trouble with specific with too much description of stuff. Um, uh, th- one of the techniques that you use in, if you, when you've done enough series television is you just say, I'm starting over and you go back without a cut. Um, but you got to know when and how to do that. And I haven't done enough uh, TV in the last four or five years to know when I can do that anymore. So uh, I wouldn't be comfortable trying to do it. I'd just say, sorry, uh, we have to do that again. Uh, instead of just saying, go back to the beginning, bang, and start over. Um, because that editing process, as an actor, you know, I've not been involved in this business long enough mm. to really uh, to really keep that idea in my head that, of course, it's all being edited. So. Um, so I do like to have for auditions. I love to have lines for a couple of a couple of days. That doesn't always happen, but more and more now we are auditioning at home. Uh, so we're doing our our own at home auditions with our blue screen or blue sheet behind us with the lighting we have and the sirens or the dogs barking outside, <laughs> um, and with really no feedback from a director or from a casting director. Um, they they do say that they are amazed at the number of people they can now see, which they couldn't when they had to have actors come to their studios to do the auditions, that they can see a much broader base of people. And it may be one of the reasons why some of you feel you're not getting the work you should. <laughs> yeah, Tony Amendola was telling us that at any one time, typically 6% of actors are working. That's, uh, I, wow, that's I don't, I don't small. Know what the percentages are uh you know I, I they say if you get one in 10 auditions you're doing fine uh i think i get one in 16 or 20 and sometimes i can go through even in the good days i could go through three or four or five months and do numbers of auditions and not get a get, get something and eventually you start to go well there must be something wrong <laughs> well on top of that that's a lot of gasoline and a lot of time well, spent working on material that you know doesn't a see the light of day light of day um I, I, you know, nowadays, uh, I, it's, it's nowadays, 
I'm not I'm not in as much of a rush to get work uh, mm. simply because it's work. So uh, I've I, you know I've had a long talk with the with my agent back and forth about what kind of roles are out there. And I say, well, if you think if you think that you were an actor once, if you think this is interesting as an actor, let me let me read it. But if it's the uncle or the father or the next door neighbor on a Hallmark, uh, forget it. You know? <laughs> yeah, all the Hallmark stuff is shot up in Vancouver. They stamp so many of those things out. It's crazy. You know, if you need to if you need to make dough, uh, it's there to do. Uh, you know, if you need an income. Uh, and I suppose, I suppose I do too. But I'm old enough now where I get Canada pension and I get old age pension, and I'm having to take out, I'm having to take out. Thank God this business was the business it's been over the years, because the the RRSPs that um, have been taken from by our union and put into to put into an, an investment vehicle called Actor Fraternal Benefits Society is phenomenal. And every month I have to, I now have to take money out of that. I'm obliged to, I can no longer put any in, uh, but I'm a, I have to take a certain percentage out every, every, every year. And I do mine monthly. You can do it once a year or monthly. Mm. Or, um, so there's no need for me to rush and get back to get back there unless it's something interesting. Uh, so it also opens me up for more theater, but of course now with COVID, that's all gone down the drain. Uh, and who knows when it's going to come back. It's coming back in, in small ways. One person shows and small audiences and Zoom audiences or Skype audiences. Um, but uh, there's not enough out there for us. Uh, you know, this, the city has a lot of stage actors here. There's a lot of small companies who are looking at their own little stuff. But the big companies where I can work, um, they're basically on hold. So... Um, scary that's that's sad itself and it is my favorite place to be is on stage i love uh, preparing uh, long before rehearsal starts i love being in rehearsal and i love basically the first week of a run i don't necessarily like the following weeks because <laughs> you've got the experience of that audience and now what's new what's <laughs> well yeah what's gonna happen next there is something i all all, all the way back to the you know 15, 1600s with Shakespeare. There's something magical about being in a small group of people, watching a small group of performers on stage, pretend to be somewhere else, and you are invited to go elsewhere with them on yeah. whatever journey that they're going to take you. So. It, uh, it's a great place to be. It's where I feel the most comfortable. Um, I know, like, once you've been uh, something like Stargate, as long as I was over that period of time, and know that you're welcome, and then you get a script like it's good to be king you feel like your feet are on the ground you feel like you're back in the theater uh but when you're going for something that you uh you, you don't know the characters you don't know the background you 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 perhaps uh, have auditioned without having seen a script or perhaps you have seen a script or some parts of one um you still don't have enough knowledge to ever feel like your feet are solidly in the ground or i don't um i'm sure actors who have only done this kind of work, uh, the film work and the uh, and the, the the TV work, I'm sure they have learned how to get their feet in the ground, um, just because that's been their life, and um, and that's what they've trained for, and and uh, and they know when their feet are on the ground, they know when they're handling it well. Um, it's still all. 
every time I go back, if I haven't been back in front of a camera for uh, a number of months or a year, I, I'm nervous as a cat. Sure. Absolutely. Just, uh, and it's like I have to be retrained. <laughs> well, it's, it shows yeah. that you're not arrogant about the process, you know, as well. And there's, there's some excitement to that. So, and an episode like uh, It's Good to Be King, you know, in season eight, bonus territory for a lot of shows to get to a season eight. What, what is an episode like that meant to be, if not to say to you, job well done, Tom. Come back well, with a, and put a crown on your head. <laughs> it was awfully nice. It was, uh, it was awfully nice. <clears throat> and it's, awfully, it's been awfully nice to have you on. Uh, can you hazard a guess at how many people we've had watching us over the last 90 minutes? Uh, I will not hazard a guess. I don't understand this business either. 1,500. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of them have been asking my final question for you. Can you tell us a little bit about the art behind you? About the witch? Oh, the art behind mm-hmm. me. Is oh, that the Salish? Large, the large piece is a Gordon Reed okay. uh, back in the expo day. And I think this is the first time they did it in this city. They had done a redo on a very old bridge here that connects, uh, that runs over False Creek, um, uh, the Burrard Street Bridge. And they'd, they'd redone it and repainted, well, mostly repainted it. But they had also hung up um, uh, banner poles to put banners on and they had they asked artists to and they did this all over the city to make the city look uh, like it was um, a present um like it was a gift mm. uh that no matter where you went there was things to look at in the city and gordon reed did this piece here uh and it, they were all lined down the on either side of the uh of the uh, Burrard Street Bridge, and it was um, it was a vision. And Karen Conival, my partner uh, back then, uh, asked the city for one, and she got one. And it was folded up for many, many years. And we just brought it out when we uh, when we redid our uh, where the art went in the house. We decided that this thing had to go up. Um, the little colored piece on this side here is one of Karen's pieces uh, of a series she did on the homeless um, and only what their home was. Is that so an this umbrella? And it's a man dragging his tent. So the series was called Home. And so it was uh, people um, that made their little home on a corner. Um, yeah. And her... Uh, her drawings from pictures and visions she'd taken uh, of uh, how people make their home uh, that don't have what we consider homes. Mm-hmm. Um, these uh, the black and white ones on the side, uh, that's, a, that's a street artist's, native street artist piece. The photo above is uh, a photo uh, that was given to Karen uh, by the director of... Um, of uh, no. oh, I'm not supposed to say. No, I'm just saying it. you're wrong. Okay. Oh, she's she, she's incorrect. Okay. It's Andy Circus's work. Okay, it's it's actually Andy Circus. Uh, uh, his art. It's it's his art. Wow, his, that's cool. And it's a it's a, a picture of them. Um, 
It's a photograph that was taken on our first day of filming War for the Planet of the Apes in Tofino. Did you hear that? I did indeed. Okay, the first day of filming in Tofino here on the coast. Uh, first Planet day of the Apes. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, above that is a, a gift uh, to Karen uh, from one of her lady friends, and she's had that for many, many, many years. Wow. Just, a, just a pencil drawing of a man uh, sitting uh, doing some kind of crafty thing uh, at a table. And then, I don't know if they can see. Can I see uh, what looked like, it looks like hands, uh, but like well, a really I, elongated. Let's, Karen, come in here just no, for a second. No, Let Karen. No, 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 okay. But I'll say, so but she'll, I'll say. she'll <laughs> so that is, um, that is the uh, hand and footprint of Tawan the orangutan, who was my inspiration for Maurice and all three Planet of the Apes films. It's a wow. very special piece of mine. So that's his hand and footprint. Wow. Now, was yeah, she, Karen, in, she was involved Karen, in Planet of the Apes? Karen played Maurice, the orangutan. Wow. In all three. Wow. And Tawan died a few years ago, and that's his handprints. But that was, yes. that, that, was his, uh, that was her inspiration for Maurice. Wow. As she how was, lovely. Uh, as, she was, uh, as she was coming to understand how to play. Of course, yeah. In her research, yeah. She, uh, she met him in Seattle and became great friends with him and, and the other uh, orangutans down there. And she had, she hasn't been able to see them, the ones that are still there since COVID. But she's probably every three or four months, she's gone down and spent weekends with them, uh, painting particularly for one of the older ladies, but for the other few that are there as well. And they all know her. Folks, this has been a treat. Thank you so much for sharing <laughs> part of your home with us and for sharing the stories that you have. Tom, Karen, I appreciate you guys so much. Um, uh, Tom, you're just, uh, I love you to death, man. You're, you're one of my favorite people and you know, it's, it's so, so nice to have you as part of, uh, the opening salvo of, uh, of talent for my new show. So it meant a lot to me to, to have you come on. Uh, well, thank you so much. Okay. Um, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad I can, I can help out uh, this project and make it grow too. I appreciate you so much. You take care of yourself. Uh, I'll be in touch about the possibilities of what may may come uh, with uh, December. And best of luck with Scrooge in this new format. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, thank you all for listening. And all be safe. Take care of yourself, sir. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Mr. Tom Macbeth, everyone. Um, thank you so much to everyone who has tuned in. We uh, currently have 142 concurrent viewers that that improved over the course of the show. Uh, at some point here in the near future, I'm going to have Darren back on for a trivia game, and we're going to go through a lot of the um, a lot of the stats uh, for uh, the series because I'm blown away by the number of international people who are involved, and I think it's th this information is for everyone in terms of the global audience for Stargate. Um, you deserve to know who's watching because then we can turn around and provide that information to MGM and the like and saying, you know, this is, these are the people who are out there who are wanting to watch and consume new content. So we're going to have a look at that and provide that information soon. I have been really negligent in answering some questions that have been placed to me over the last several episodes. I get the talent off and then I just move on to the next one. So I apologize for that. Corporal Hicks 2310 asked, what, uh, David, what platform are you using for, for the show? It's open broadcast software, OBS. 
I think Keith, Keith Hommel asked the same thing. No, that's another, that's something else. Hang on just a second. Yeah. So uh, OBS is available for free and I taught myself how to use it. So you use the, you know, the little, um, I, I got myself a, a keypad here to control the gestures with my left hand uh, to toggle between the different, um, the different screens that we use, for instance, this one. Um, and then uh, uh, with my right hand, you know, turn the, the system on and off. Uh, for Keith said for the fan art segment, have you seen Delphine L's work? She D L and dies on Twitter. D L A N D A I S on Twitter. I have not. I will check her out. Um, a, a couple of people have sent artwork. I, I think there's a Sally by, by a chance. I have been terrible on email. My apologies. I'm probably going to get to that tonight because my back is out and I'm not going to be able to go to work. So <laughs> I'm probably going to have a chance to check up. I've been uh, sent a few pieces of, uh, of, uh, of fan art and I'm really looking forward to using them. We need trivia questions. So if you want to, uh, if you think you're a, uh, adept at Stargate knowledge, go and check out uh, dialthegate.com. Scroll down to the trivia questions uh, panel. You can't do this on a mobile device. It's not working. So iPads, uh, um, iPhones, uh, tablets, not a good idea. But if you're using a desktop or a laptop, it will work. Uh, And submit your trivia questions to us, easy, medium, and hard. So we will be turning those over to some guests in the future, and I will be creating questions for them. But those are for questions so that they can ask me. Uh, We had Robert C. Cooper and Andy Frizzell that I spoke with earlier this week and Andy did trivia with us. And those two interviews are going to be available on uh, Halloween. Fantastic. Almost two hours long each. So those are fantastic. And I can't wait for you to, to, to see those yourself. Um, Keith also asked, do I send a confirmation email to people who email art? Yes, I do. So Sally Whitesides, I will be getting, I will be getting back. That is my fault, Sally. I do apologize. I I do have the message. Um, Just still getting caught up with, uh, a rhythm, a routine for how to do the show. And Stargazer, will you be bringing Jay Davidson on the show at some time? I would love to hear, um, love to learn how he, how he spoke. I'd love to learn how he spoke. I, I will reach out to Jay. Jay, I don't believe does a lot of interviews. I would love to have him on. I just don't know if he'll do it. So I will certainly reach out to him and ask. Uh, we had Dean on. We're going to be having Roland Emmerich on in the future. I mean, it would be a dream to be able to get the likes of Jay and Kurt and um, James, you know, and Milia. We've already had Alexis Cruz. Sorry, Alexis. Sorry, man. Yes, we've had him on for the game uh, last weekend for the role-playing game. We will be having Alexis on for a full interview later. That's all I have uh, for you guys here. And if you did enjoy the show, that's the wrong button. See, I'm still trying to get OBS figured out. If you did enjoy the show, it would mean a great deal to me if you would click that like button. It really makes a difference with YouTube's algorithm, and it helps grow the audience by sharing with other Stargate fans who have not seen the content before. So when you click like or you share a piece of material, it moves the video higher up in the algorithm for YouTube that knows that there are Stargate fans out there who like to search for Stargate content, and it's more likely that that content will be presented to them. And if you want to get notified about a future episode, click the subscribe icon. If you plan to watch it live, I recommend giving the bell icon a click so you'll be the first to know of any schedule changes, which will happen all the time. 
and clips from this live stream will hopefully, if I can get my button gear, be released over the course of the next several days on both the Dial the Gate and GateWorld.net YouTube channels. Tomorrow we have director and producer Martin Wood, another one of my favorite humans. This guy, I mean, he is an encyclopedia of knowledge on Stargate. And tomorrow we begin what will hopefully be the first of many interviews, unlocking those doors and getting some answers to some interesting questions. Because all you have to do, I've, I've watched this with Martin and talking with him. All you have to do is give him an episode name and he's off. So it's going to be interesting keeping it succinct for 90 minutes. Um, but he's agreed to do the show and he's agreed to do future shows. And this is one you're not going to want to miss. Martin Wood is the most prolific Stargate director in terms of the number of pieces that he did. The number of episodes. He did Stargate Continuum as well. And he will be here tomorrow uh, to ask those questions. So go to youtube.com slash dial the gate and you can uh, subscribe and be notified when that show starts streaming. And it'll also tell you what time in your time zone it will begin. I think we're, what time is it tomorrow? I think it's, I think it starts at noon, 12 PM Pacific time. So I'm going to have to go to bed a little bit earlier tonight. I'm David Reed. I appreciate you sticking around and you know what? We'll see you on the other side. Thanks so much, everybody. Bye-bye. Dial the Gate is hosted and executive produced by David Reed. The producer is Darren Sumner. Co-produced by Linda Fury. The composer is Neil Acree. Animations by Bryce Ors. The production assistant is Jennifer Kirby. Moderators include Summer Roy, Keith O'Mell, Tracy Noller, Jeremy Heiner, Reese M., and Anthony Rowling. Logo design by Deborah J. Bell. Additional effects by Thomas Tots with contributions by model makers Chris Baker, Stephen Barr, Kevin Zabo, and Tom Paris. The archivists are Linda Fury, Zachary Adams, and Fred Eric Marcoux. For general inquiries for submissions, please contact us at dialthegateshow at gmail.com. Visit our website for the upcoming schedule, as well as an archive of our past episodes at dialthegate.com. <laughs>